You're listening to Extra Takes, hosted by Northland Church lead pastor, Dr. Joshua Laxton. Tune in each week as Pastor Josh reveals the rest of the story behind his sermons. We'll discuss how those who follow Christ can live out a biblical vision for the church in the world today. Well, hey, Northlanders, family, friends, thanks for joining us for Extra Takes podcast. And I have Matt and Teresa with me today, and we look forward to diving a little bit deeper and having some extra takes on this weekend's message. So, Matt, I'm going to turn it over to you because you are an incredible host. With the most. Now, I, well, I'd say the, at least the, the, the most questions, at least. <laughs> the most questions, right? Okay, <laughs> <Yeah>. great. <laughs> That's all right. So this weekend was October 1st and 2nd, and we are uh, deep into our Made for Mission series. This is the Great Commission, Making Disciples, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. As a reminder, our main point was the Great Commission isn't the beginning of God's mission. It is the continuation of it and reveals the church's participation in it. Hey, man, I don't know who said it, but they were brilliant. <laughs> just joking, just joking. <laughs> yeah. So so to start, Pastor Josh, I do have to applaud you because you made a connection between your Iron Man and Matthew 28. I did. I did. Well, because the Iron Man is definitely on the forefront of my mind. and But, it, but it really what I was really trying to do is – to take my experience of Ironman training and endurance training and actually equate it to how many people think of Matthew 28, right? And uh, when you think of, when many people just think of Matthew 28, it's just like the face value. Oh, yeah, we're going to go make disciples. Well, what does that actually mean? Just kind of like years ago when someone says, hey, let's go do a half Ironman. Sure, I love running and let's go do it. And so, but but as I got involved and actually did it uh, and barely finished, I mean, that was the crazy part is that they have a cutoff time and I barely met that cutoff time. And when I did make, you know, when I did make it across the finish line, I mean, I was spent mm-hmm. because I didn't really understand endurance training. Mm-hmm. And so now a few years later, and especially as I prepare for a full Ironman, I'm, I really am having to learn the nuances of endurance training. Like, so for instance, uh, here's some things that, that I've learned is that you really are trying to, in, you know, enlarge your capacity. Uh, because you're, you're having to take your body from, you know, what most people would consider a, like a robust workout, like an hour, maybe just a little over an hour. Now I'm going to try to extend it to 13, 14, 15 hours. Mm-hmm. And so I've got to enlarge my capacity, which means I'm going to have to do some intensity, a uh, kind of interval training session so that I can enlarge my heart, my heart's capacity to even do that. But then I'm actually going to have to fuel my body to sustain that rate, uh, that heart rate for an extended amount of you know time. So now I'm having to learn the science of what can you put in your body, you know, when it's already breaking down all of the carbohydrates and sugar. Like I mean, again, I'm still learning all this and to go the distance. And so what I even learned in this pastor race last weekend was. Um, like at the very end, I, I did have a cramp that just kind of, you know, came about at the very end. And I'm like, why is that? Because I was putting enough sodium in my body. But then I don't think I was putting enough potassium in my body. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I, had the, you know, so again, it's the science of it. So now I'm drilling deeper into an endurance training so that I can finish the race. Mm-hmm. Well, so Matthew 28, if we're really going to make disciples, if we're really going to understand how we can participate in the Great Commission, I think we need to drill down deeper to understand Matthew 28 in the context of God's mission from beginning to end. So, which is why I was trying to make those kind of connections. I don't know about you, Teresa, but that sounded Greek to me. <laughs> yeah. uh, the, the endurance part? Yes. Yeah. Oh, I mean, like gel packs, like, you know, like when you get into the – so I'm nerding out right now because I'm trying to see if I've, I've learned anything. <laughs> but once you get off the – even halfway, so I'm going to be on a bike for almost seven hours, maybe even seven hours. Um, and so ha- halfway I can eat some solid food because, you, you know, my, my body is, is going to be still in a state where it can break down solid food. But halfway through the bike and definitely on the run, I'm not going to be able to eat solid food. So I'm going to have to do gel packs. I'm going to have to do, uh, like, um, like energy drinks. Uh, hmm. Joni's like, don't you touch Red Bull, but, <laughs> I, but it is amazing what Coke will do. 
Because hmm. many people think Coke is bad and sugar, but it actually gives you the boost of sugar, carbohydrates, and even sodium hmm. that you need to fuel your body. So, I mean, it, but it's very fascinating. So, yeah, Greek, you might be Greek, but I'm, I'm, it's, it's still somewhat Greek to me, but I'm learning and I hope and pray that, uh, I, I can, uh, finish in the, in, in, uh, in the month, uh, the, well, in the race <laughs> that's coming up in a month. So. So I've gone on long road trips and driving for 12 hours is a challenge, <laughs> <laughs> right? Well, let's put it this way. My rear is not looking forward to sitting in a bike saddle for seven hours. Seven Just, hours. yeah, you can pray for, well, I'm not going to ask you to pray for my rear, but you can pray for, you can pray for me. So, you will not sorry. hear, you will not hear that we, on we Sunday morning. And this is definitely extra takes. Uh, so. So we've had six sermons in this Made for Mission series um, before we get to Matthew 28. And for uh, for many of us, if we were uh, planning a series around mission, it would be, it would be the first. Hmm. Uh, it might be the first of two. It might be the first of three. Yeah. Uh, we might throw in Acts 1-8 in there as well. Yep. Um, we might throw in Revelation, but but certainly we would probably think of it as the first. So um, why was it important to include all of those other messages and passages before we got to Matthew 28? Yeah, I mean it's it's building up somewhere. That 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 was kind of my goal was to set the stage of what God had been doing. And even when you look at what Jesus said in John twenty twenty one, as the Father has sent me, so now do I send you, of even looking at Jesus' sentness, what, what did the Father send him to do? But then you're taking in all of that and having laid that solid foundation, and now we can get to Matthew 28, where Jesus is literally now about to send his disciples out to make disciples. And so I wanted I wanted that backdrop before we got to Matthew 28. Hmm. That's so good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that does make sense because, you know, we're talking about um, – a commissioning in Matthew, which is going to, you know, send them out into a lot of activity. Mm. So I think our tendency as human beings is to focus on what we should do. Mm. And uh, so when we hear about discipleship, we just – a list of things come to mind, you know, yeah, that we should yeah. be doing, we haven't done, we should do, we want to do. And I think what you've done with the series is you've gone back to, you know, the, the identity mm-hmm. and uh, – the other thing I think is important about it is that, you know, we were created to do – to reflect God in this way. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we know that sin marred that uh, – it, it, it curtailed that possibility. Yeah. So now we have a person, Jesus Christ, who is the example that we can look at. So when he says go, mm-hmm. when he – or when he says – Make disciples, mm-hmm. the right? That's yeah. the imperative. Then you know that he's not saying something that's impossible. Yeah. He's saying something that is natural for mm-hmm. people who are following him, for people who call him their Lord, yeah. people who worship him. Yeah. Um, so it, it, it makes it not so impossible and also doesn't give us a to-do list. Yeah. And, you know, I've talked to you, and I know we'll talk about discipleship here in a second, but even when people think about make disciples, if you think about, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago of how people thought about discipleship, it was a very cultural way of understanding it from an assembly line and an industrial kind of revolution perspective. Like if you do A, B, and C, then, oh, you're a disciple. And so it was. It was very much an assembly line type of thinking when it when it came to making quote unquote disciples. Mm-hmm. But but then when you look at really what Jesus is saying in the context of what God has been doing, and which that's why you, you know it, it would have been funny if I could have given everybody like a sheet of paper with connect the dots, you, you know. But really trying to connect the dots so that you know that what's happening in Matthew twenty eight, it, it it might be like different language. But it actually is still part of the same mission. Mm. So, and and that's where, yeah, I mean, just really trying to bring that to the forefront of going, oh, okay, just like even the whole idea of identity plus function equals image. That's in there, yeah. you know, baptize, teach. Mm-hmm. Like, so, yeah, it's pretty cool. 
Yeah. And, and speaking of discipleship, um, you have defined discipleship for us over and over, and I'll read that definition. You say, the process of learning what it means to be human after the image and likeness of Jesus. So I was thinking back, I've, I've heard that from you a couple times, and I think the first time I actually read it was um, in your questionnaire. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Way back when. Way back, back when, when you were interviewing me. When we, yeah, yeah. Back in so. December. So this is the first time we've done a question and answer, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and even in the first interview, um, I remember you, you laying that definition out. So yeah. I was just reflecting on this is not something that you have formulated in the last um, week or month. So no. talk to us about that. How did you formulate this definition? How did it come about? Yeah, I mean, in the context of God's mission, like you know, going back to what he was wanting to do with humanity at the very beginning, I'm going to create you, create you in my image. And understanding what what did, what did that mean, and so that that idea of image bearer is the reflection. So the only way that you can reflect is if you're embedded into and that you know, right? So that's where his God's characteristics, his attributes, and his nature, and then connecting it to other places in the New Testament. So Colossians three. First Corinthians 15, where, where Paul is going to say that what Jesus has done is repairing or restoring the image of God in our life. So, so now, and then I would say a, a great book that actually even brought this to the forefront is uh, a book called God Who Sins by Francis Debo. Mm-hmm. Is, and his name is spelled D-U-B-O-S-E. Uh, and it's, it was written in the 80s, and he was actually the first person to actually use the word missional in the sense of how we understand it today. But he actually talks about how God's mission, how the, the, the mission of God is actually repairing the image of God. So it, so it is the intersection of, I'm going, this is why it's extra takes, big words, Missio Dei and the Imago Dei. Mm-hmm. So the Missio Dei now, the mission of God is, is, is repairing the Imago Dei, the image of God on man. And you actually see that, like I said, in Colossians 3, 1 Corinthians 15, Romans. Um, and so you, you actually see it in a couple of different places where, where Paul, he doesn't use image language, but put off, put on, mm-hmm. you know, so, so there's this idea. All right. So now if this is what God's doing and he's repairing the image through Jesus's death and his resurrection, now you're bringing into this whole understanding of discipleship, connecting it to the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And so that's where for me and the, the, the reason why I spend a lot of time thinking through this, not just because of my mission background, but because everybody and their mom is trying to define discipleship. Yes. Like I, I heard someone uh, that if I said the name, you all would know this person. You would know him very well. But he was talking about how discipleship is removing obstacles for people to come to Jesus. And I'm like, listen, I understand, like, I, I was trying to understand what he was saying, but I'm like, no, that's not, that's not discipleship is removing obstacles. You, you know, because, I mean, if you're removing obstacles, we know that Paul says one of the biggest obstacles, the biggest obstacle is the cross. So if you're really so you have to be sure that you are defining what the Bible says about discipleship, not just what you think you think it is. So that's why. Great. So I have a I have a quote that I want to lay out for both of you. And um this was under when you were talking about until the end of the age, um you gave a message to both believers and unbelievers. So this is something that uh, particularly struck me, so I would love to just hear both of your responses yeah. to it. You said, a message to believers, hold on a little while longer, new creation is coming, let's endure. And a message to unbelievers, you have limited time, you are not promised tomorrow, there is a pre-allotted time. What are your thoughts? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to turn it over, you know, I'm, I'm going to let Teresa kind of go first because I would love to hear what someone else kind of, cause you know, you read the manuscript too mm-hmm. that I sent out and then obviously heard it. Mm-hmm. So what, yeah, you, do you have any thoughts on, on that, you know, obviously that particular uh, message that I gave? Yeah. Um, so when I think about endurance, I, I, you know, what's interesting, it can feel like a very sloggish mm-hmm. kind of a, an existence 
um, it is it it makes me want to think more about your your analogy with your endurance training yeah, because yeah. does it really feel like when you're doing it when you're when you're um, experiencing that kind of endurance what is it what does it actually feel like mm, yeah. is it exhilarating is it mm. tiring is it uh, boring is it what is it it well and on this is why I love endurance training because I feel like it's such a it, it, it's such a physical tangible act that represents a spiritual reality mm-hmm. because when when you are doing endurance training there is a range of emotions like there are times where I'm like I'm I'm just ready to stop. Like right. this this is actually when I say there's there's a lot of pain and suffering like in the sense of I'm 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 uncomfortable there's this discomfort that I'm feeling and like why am I doing this? Yeah, like, right. Like I have I have signed up to do this. Yeah. Like I don't have to do <laughs> right, this. Right. <laughs> so but then there then then there I mean like then there's this the elation where I remember this is just a couple of weeks ago where I start running and I think, well, I'm not even going to be able to run fast today. And I started running, and this is after an 80-mile bike ride, and I start running, and I'm running a 945-minute mile. And as I'm 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 going into, you know, mile two, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I three. I'm like, well, five. And I'm like, and then I keep saying, I'm an Iron Man. I'm an Iron Man. I'm an <laughs> – but there's this elation. There's this joy because what has – what I have been doing to my body has trained me for such a time as this. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, when you, when you cross the finish line, you're like, un believable yeah um and so and that's where when i look at because the bible has this theme enduring to the end enduring to the end persevering to the end um and so there and, and then what what the bible teaches is that once you endure to the end i mean there's these written in some sense there's a crown of righteousness that that lies ahead for you mm-hmm. like and, and so we can endure like we know that as romans talks about that the birth pangs like the creation has these birth pains. They creation itself knows that new creation is coming. That that they will be. They, 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 well, I say they. The creation will be restored, and so they're longing for that day. So they're enduring. So if creation can, and they have any, you know, creation has even experienced what we have in terms of Jesus's remaking and renewal and restoration of us. Like, um, like so, just endure to the end. It's coming. Like so, that's what. I wanted to say to believers, but then, like, I think there, there's also that message of you you need to repent. Jesus is coming back. And the first time he came, he came as a suffering servant. The second time he comes, he's coming on a white horse to conquer. And if you have not bowed the knee, hmm. if you have not turned to him, uh, then then you will spend everlasting life. You will spend eternity apart from him. And there will be, and the Bible talks about gnashing of teeth and suffering. So are you physically going to be like grinding your teeth? No, there's just going to be this eternal state of turmoil and suffering because you will live in the state in a, in a non-redeemed, non-restored state. I'm not even sure what to say after that, right? Um, it's just so heavy, and for yeah. me, it, it just um, it just brought tears to my eyes. I, I think both of those statements. Mm-hmm. Um, it, there was so much uh, there was so much passion um, in that first statement to believers of yeah. Uh, yeah. L- let us endure, and then that second statement is uh, is just such a sobering reality. Um, I, I do think um, you know, studying Paul, he I really think he believed Jesus was coming back. Almost any moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. that determined the way he lived his life. Mm-hmm. So he didn't waste any time. Uh, I don't. He he only wanted to spread the gospel to people that hadn't heard it yet. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't. He did go back and see the first uh, group of people, you know, in the first missionary journey to see how they were. But I, I don't think that's typically how he approached it. So you've got somebody who, yeah. I mean, I just don't really think we actually believe Jesus could come back any minute. Yeah. Mm. And if we did, I think we would have some different priorities. Yeah, and I think, yeah, Teresa, I mean, it really is an excellent point uh, because, yeah, the first century, they thought he was going to come back. I mean, like anytime, yeah. like soon. Yeah. I mean, that's why, like, just a little while yeah. off. you know, that's just, what he said. Yeah. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And so now it's been over 2,000 years. <laughs> right. 
uh, and I think the church in some sense has fallen asleep in so many different ways. But I think one of the, the things that I would say in terms of the, the church's sleepiness or lethargy or apathy towards this is not truly identifying with, with Jesus. Because again, here's the idea. Like, if you bab, if, if you, if you follow Jesus in believer's baptism, that's what, you know, I'm using that word believer's baptism, that you believe Jesus is your king, lord, savior, you want to identify with him, and then you're going to learn from him. So, and you're going to learn out the functions. Then now, by your very identification of him, you're going to live out the way he did. And, and so, that's what Paul was doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, think about how passionate God was to save the world. <laughs> so, yeah, right. and, and uh, what he did to accomplish that. Yeah. Well, if if we have Jesus' spirit living in us, which we'll actually talk about that next week in Acts 1, mm-hmm. if, we have, if we have the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit living in us, we are compelled. There will be this natural pull to go and tell, mm-hmm. to go to the nations, to go to people who haven't heard. Why? Why? Because that's what God did. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I mean, and, and I think the church has fell, fallen asleep in the sense they've rocked themselves to sleep through religiosity, mm. um, you, you know, as, as opposed to the identification of Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection, that we have died to ourselves, and now we have been raised to the newness of life that has been made possible by Jesus and he has put his spirit in us to actually be the fuel and the power for us to accomplish what he has put us here on planet Earth to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is why, you know, you even go to that part in the message where I talked about the presence of Jesus. How do you know that the presence of Jesus is is with you, in you? Well, th- there's going to be a host of things. There's going to be power. There's going to be provision. There's going to be protection. There's going to be promise. All of those pieces to help you remember. But, but there will be those things. Why? Because Jesus' spirit is with you and in you and moving through you. So, yeah. So that was a really good point there, Teresa. Sorry, I just had to expound on it a little bit more of just like, that's such a great point. That's great. That's what we're here yeah. for. Um, so just so you know that I was listening to the sermon, yeah. you said you would unpack um, these five uh, five ways that this passage will apply to Northland, right? Yeah. You said you would unpack these in uh, in the podcast. So I my ears perked up and said, okay, let's make sure we do that. So uh, let yeah. me read those uh, for us, and then um, I'll just let us talk a little bit more about them. So number one is we will take our mar- marching orders from Jesus. Yeah. We will go to neighbors and nations. We will make disciples through creating a discipleship strategy around identification and formation. We will contextualize mission and ministry to effectively disciple nations and finally, we will lean into the spirit and anticipate Jesus's return. Yeah. Yeah. So let's take number one. And Teresa, I'm going to kind of turn it over to you because you had sent me uh, an email of how you can even drill down on it even more. And I thought it really was a really good point. And I just knew that I wasn't going to be able to get there. So I'm like, well, we'll, we'll save it for extra takes. And so, but you, you know, you actually talk about verse 17, where some of the disciples really were doubting that yeah. this was Jesus. Right. And so, won't you, yeah, kind of explain your part to even make it, make that point even more robust for us? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, the original statement, we will take our marching orders from Jesus. So, uh, it's the idea that, uh, not only is Jesus our king, so we will, you know, follow him as our authority. He's also our Lord. Mm. That means that speaks of worship. Mm. So I noticed when I looked at the Great Commission and, the, you know, because for me it's always about context. I always, you know, it's hard to – it is for you too, yeah. you know. Context you just go all the way back to yeah. Genesis. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like every I message. Back, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I go back to the beginning of the chapter. People are going to get tired because <laughs> – when we do our series on generosity, guess where we'll be? That's right. <laughs> yeah, you guessed it. Genesis 1. <laughs> so, well, it's a sorry. great place to start. Yes, great place. Um, so I noticed right before uh, he tells them what to do, yeah. they worship him. So in the, the uh, in verse 17, when they saw him, so they saw him, he was resurrected. They saw him. We don't know what he looked like. We he was recognizable, so we know his body wasn't completely like he wasn't a ghost. He he ate food yeah. in other uh, in John's gospel, and they touched him. Uh, so he is recognizable, but they also recognize he was 
alive again. They they must have believed he died, and now they see him alive. When they see him alive, they worship him. Yeah. And it's the a, a natural response. And what I love about that is that he's initiating because of his sheer power, because of his sheer the sheer reality of 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 what has just happened. Mm-hmm. And they worship in uh, in uh, in the John uh, account, John's account. Thomas says, "My Lord and my God," mm. and then he sends them. So again, it's the same kind of a paradigm where he he appears to them in a, in some in this way. They worship him. Mm. Then he tells them what to do. Yeah. And for me, that's the that's the best foundation for any kind of activity. It does. It has to, has to do with the identity that you talk about. It kind of runs parallel with that because if we really know who God is, then we know who we are. If yeah. we really believe He is Lord, then we will worship Him. Yeah. So um, I think it's again, it's an important thing to remember because you know you want to please the the leader, the authority, but. Responding in worship is a different kind of a, an activity, a different kind of a, a posture. Yeah. So um, I'm always going to find those things. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's good. I mean, because, yeah, well, I mean, worship, ultimate allegiance. Um, you know, when I think about this whole idea that we will take our marching orders from from Jesus, uh, I mean, since football season is here, right, and people, a lot of people are excited. I know everybody's not a football fan, but – I'm so excited. Yeah, yeah. I mean, let's <laughs> – Let's just Wait, say somebody. You you know, let's say somebody. I am. I am. In. I love it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Let's say somebody comes in and buys the Jacksonville Jaguars. A new new owner. Uh, so they come in. They purchase the Jacksonville Jaguars. But let's just say Trevor Lawrence is like, you know what? I really, I don't don't really like the owner. Like, well, he he's not going to be wearing no Jacksonville Jaguar. Like, because if he's not going to do what the owner says, now now I understand the, the 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 breakdown is well, the owner really doesn't get involved in the plays. Let's just say. He purchased the team and he gets to call the shots. All right. And so here's the thing. When 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 mankind sinned and they they were separated from God, now the wrath of God is directed towards them. But God loved the world so much, as we you know read in John 3, that he didn't want them to perish in their sin, but he wanted them to have everlasting life. And so, but in order for the world to, you know, planet Earth, the human, you know, humankind who is marred in their sin, the only way for them to to uh, receive that was to actually have their sins purchased. So that's why Jesus had to be uh, sent to die for the sin of the world. He purchased the sin debt of all humanity, and by his blood, he has actually paid for all of creation to be restored. So think about all the relief efforts now. So he has paid for it from his own blood, his own life, to bring about the restoration of the cosmos, and even more so and especially for fallen, sinful human beings. Well, so when he says all authority in heaven on earth has been given unto me, now he has purchased redemption. He has purchased deliverance. He has purchased newness. He has purchased restoration. So if you sit here and say, and this is why it's so important, like if you sit here and say that, well, Jesus is my king. Jesus is my Lord. I have received the sin debt that he has paid for. I follow him. Well, then listen, he calls the shots. But then also think about for the word to the unbelievers. So if Jesus has paid, if he is the if he is the cosmic king, if he is the God uh, of all gods, right? If if he is the one true God who has come in flesh to die for the sin of the world, and he is purchased through his blood, through his life, newness, and you sit here and say, "Well, I don't want it." Where do you then? What do you want? You want fallenness. You want. You want destruction. You want disaster. You want all, you know, and so that's what you will get. And so that's where for the church, we take our marching orders from from Jesus. So because he has purchased, he has the authority now to to actually tell us whatever he wants us to do. So. Yeah. So one of the other um, uh, five ways is number four, we will contextualize mission and ministry to effectively disciple nations. Yeah. 
Can you unpack that idea of uh, contextualize a little bit more? Yeah, let me. Yeah, well, but before I unpack that, I want to go back to the the identification and formation uh, because now, because I did say put a pin in early 2023, so you still have. So it's not 2023 yet; it's still 2022. Because uh, I'd love to unpack neighbors and nations and how we're 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 going to go to both of them, but but I think formation is really really important. Uh, because if you do think about how God is bringing about uh, creation, he is using his uh, word, he's creating, He's do- he does it actually in community. Because Teresa, you know, in other part, I think in other podcasts, really talks about the Trinity and being involved in creation. So it is community there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's creating mankind in community, Adam and Eve. Mm-hmm. And then you think about practices and exercises. And so those are really the commands of God. Like, here's what I want you to do. Here's how I want you to obey, obey, right? And so for believers, I I didn't get to mention only in the 11 o'clock service about practices and exercises. So let me just read a list of of here are practices and exercises that believers do out of obedience that strengthen their faith. Read God's word. Um, Again, you, you need to have a healthy Bible engagement and digestion of God's word. Uh, pray, love your neighbor, and care for those around you. Honor your father and mother. Train up your children to understand the story and mission of God. Fellowship with other believers. Show hospitality to those far from God. Now, I think that's very, really interesting. I use those words on, on, on purpose. Fellowship, koinonia, that's the Greek word, right, for for fellowship, for gathering together with saints, um, with the family of God. You are fellowshipping. You sh- you have things in common that you're sharing mm. with one another. You're fellowshipping. Mm. But what what is interesting in the New Testament is there's this idea of hospitality that is shown to the stranger, to the foreigner, to those who aren't part of the people of God. Mm. So one of the best ways to actually engage those far from Jesus, guess what's one of the best ways? To actually share a meal, mm. to show hospitality. Mm. Um, and so uh, that's why I, I use those words intentionally. Fellowship with other believers and show hospitality to those who are far from God. Share Christ with those God gives you opportunity. Uh, serve God and steward what he has given you. So that's part of that operate, right? So God has given you all these resources and material, money. And so you need to steward well. That's part of the exercise of, of your faith. Uh, trusting God through the mountaintops and the valleys. Hmm. So many people maybe even listen to this. You're going through a valley because of Hurricane Ian and the aftermath of Hurricane Ian. I mean, this is strengthening your faith. So trusting God that, man, he's going to be working uh, things out for his glory and your good, right? Uh, Suffer well as part of it. Uh, Gather corporately with the church and submit to those God places in authority over us to hold us accountable. Like that's a thing that I, I feel like again in, in in today's society, even in the church, we don't like to be held accountable. But that actually is a practice of the New Testament church, and so those are part of the, the exercises that help form that that actually helps form us more into the image of Jesus. So, so Therese, would you add anything you, you know, kind of to that in terms of formation of? Um, Anything deeper that you want to go into there? I mean, I I just think prayer. I mean, uh, it's just some of the basics of the Christian life that you wouldn't want to, you know, uh, take for granted. You wouldn't want to assume. uh, Those are the things when you talk about endurance that – Pop up when you you're tired, or when yeah. you're you know you wonder why you're doing this. Mm. Then you're, the fact that you know the Bible, the fact that you have a prayer life, the fact that yeah. you know, uh, and you can even go into some of the other things that the saints have done through the years. You know, yeah. you can fast, you can yeah, uh, you yep. know. So I mean, there are a lot of things uh, you know that are really practical things that kind of keep us uh, focused. Yeah. Now, do you have a like? So do you have a um, like a Bible reading? rhythm or do you have like like because I know sometimes people like to read the book of common prayer yeah uh, which is I think Anglican yeah um and so I mean do you have any practices like that as opposed to just I'm just gonna open up my Bible and like what does God want for me right. today you, you know like so do you yeah. have like any any kind of rhythm there yeah um I mean from when I was a pretty young about 11 I decided I was going to read through the whole Bible mm-hmm. and then so I've done that 
quite a few times, and I like to do it in different translations. But the thing that I did most was, or have done and continue to return to, is I read through the Psalms and Proverbs every month. So you can read five Psalms and one proverb, and it gets you through the 30 days. Mm -hmm. Um, And I can't tell you, uh, you know, anything you can ever encounter, any emotion you might have, any frustration or struggle you might have, you're going to find it in the Psalms. And then you just get this, yeah, they're a full range. And then in Proverbs, you just get so much practical instruction that just kind of brings you up, um, you know, it it, it, uh, it, exposes your your pride and Mm -hmm. things Mm -hmm. like that. So Mm -hmm. that's good. So, um, so yeah, I wanted to go back there, Matt, because I, right. I feel like I, you know, I didn't re- get to spend a lot of time there. And obviously, you know, the fourth thing of we will contextualize mission and ministry to effectively disciple the nations. I mean, I don't even know if I'm going to be able to hit it, you know, in, in, in an adequate way in the next, you know, few moments. But I'll just repeat the definition again of contextualization. And I'm working from two different uh, two different definitions. One um, is from Scott Morrow, which is the art of translating ideas into a particular situation, place, or culture. And the other one is I've kind of adapted to kind of in my own language is referring to the process and practice of expressing the gospel and living out the life of the church in a cultural context, in a specific cultural context. Now, contextualization. Now, I'm going to I'm going to connect this to an idea of mission that we had in John, as the Father has sent me, so now do I send you. So we talk about the incarnation. Jesus became human mm-hmm. in a specific time in a specific place. He wore clothes from that time. He spoke the language of that time. He was familiar with the cultural context and the cultural belief system of that context. And as a result, his ministry and even his mission took place in that specific context. So so there is a contextualization even to the Son of God coming in the first century there in that region among primarily Jews. And so for us today, we live in a different context. We live in the 21st century. Uh, we live here in the U.S., particularly, you know, in the Orlando metro area. And so we have different dress. We have different language. I mean, even if you think about how much language has changed, my, my Gen Zers, so, you know, Caleb and Ellie, they're constantly teaching me new language, like, and they speak language of, like, abbreviations, like, you know, IMO, like, well, what was that? In my opinion, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, you, you know, or stuff like that. I mean, so it's just a whole different context. And so what I want people to realize is that ministry and mission happens in a specific context, and we are to contextualize the gospel in a way that is, that, that would resonate to the people living in that particular cultural context. Yeah, and I, I think what's helpful there is we can we can think of contextualization as a a, a global missions word, yeah. right? And we just contextualize overseas, right? right? Um, but in every generation and every season here, the yep. gospel has to be contextualized. Yep. Um, in a different way. Yeah. And and that can be that can be a challenge in a church that has um, three four. Um, generations yeah. in it, right? So there's that. I think that tension, and and I think we're we're living that here. But I'm glad you brought that to our um, to our attention that it's not just there; it's also here, and we will do it. In, yeah, in whatever context we find ourselves. Because it goes back to the very first thing, I, you know, I think I even shared in the first podcast about how in the 1700s, people thought that mission happened overseas and that we just evangelize our own. And but but now we we kind of understand what God's mission is, right? And so what we what we're trying to do is going. All right, we got to understand our context so that we might be able to articulate and communicate the gospel in a way that actually makes sense to them. Not again, we're not watering down the message. We're just communicating it in the heart language of the people. Like I'll give you a for instance. And I was talking to my neighbor today. And I was telling him, and because he's a seeker, he's you, you know he's 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 really hungry to learn. He's not a believer, 
And I was talking to him. I said, you know, I really try to, as best as I can, with all of the generations that are represented, uh, you know, kind of in a weekend uh, here, is I, I really try to speak just just really normal, down to earth. Now, yeah, I try not to use big words. And I was telling him about the the Greek uh, language, uh, Greek New Testament. It was called Koine Greek. It was the it was actually the street and common language. I mean, and so uh, I, and I was telling him I was watching Father Stew and. And if you've not watched Father Stew, it is, I mean, now it's, it's rated R, but it has some language. Now, but it's about this boxer, and Mark Wahlberg plays the boxer. He's a boxer who wanted, basically the story is, is that uh, he saw this pretty woman and he you know, basically followed her and she went into a church and she, and, and she didn't <laughs> want to have anything to do with him. And so, but long story short, he becomes part of this Catholic church. And then actually goes into the priesthood, and God radically changes his life. Mm. But when he starts giving his, like, I don't know, homilies or lectures or whatnot, it is so down-to-earth, raw, Mm. authentic, Mm. because that's his language. Mm. It was street language. But what he was trying to do is communicate the gospel and the grace of God in the heart language of what he knew. Mm. I mean, it's such a, I mean, it it is such a moving story. Like, so I I really would recommend, recommend that, recommend that movie, but that's contextualization. Mm. And and there's this scene in the movie where he goes into to a prison with with another priest of his, and and that priest is trying to communicate to these prisoners that that are in lockdown, and, and he's like fumbling over his words, and so then then uh, Father Stu, played by Mark Wahlberg, he he um uh he, he's like <laughs> he kind of like takes over and he just starts talking their language. And it's just amazing the hush and the quiet, and they and they understand what he's saying. That's contextualization, and so that's where I want people to know, uh, especially believers here at Northland, is that our ministries and our programs and our songs and even my style of when I say preaching or clothes or what I pre- like, that's all contextualization, mm. right? And, and what we're trying to do is package it in a way that would communicate the good news of King Jesus and invite people into that story. Mm. And so that's the reason why I said that the mission and the message never change, but the methods and means may change. But there was one thing that I didn't get to in any of the gatherings about contextualization. Because when we contextualize, when we contextualize ministry and we contextualize this idea of of mission and what what again here's what God's mission is is to redeem a people from all peoples to reflect God's glory in all spheres of life and what many missiologists would say about making disciples of all nations they will they will use the phrase discipling nations and so what what does it mean to disciple nations because again you're kind of coming into the context of the nation of America you're also going into the context of the nation of Iraq and all all across the world and how what does it mean to disciple nations well three questions that you will ask in discipling nations what in their culture should they reject what in their culture should that nation, that people reject? So like, so when it comes to like us here in the U.S., we're going to teach that if you want to be a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, then we're going to reject some sexual practices that our, that our nation adheres to. We're going to reject practices like abortion. We're going to reject practices of forcing people to behave or adhere to a certain lifestyle and become, you know, and some people would call that Christian nationalism or any other kind of nationalism where people are forcing people, no, you need to believe this way, you need to live this way, and if not, then, you, you know, whatever. And so uh, we reject racism and violence. We reject greed and exploitation. So we reject those because Jesus is Lord now. Mm-hmm. Um, um, then the second question is this, what in their culture can they reimagine? What in their culture can they reimagine? And so, for instance, here in America, we can reimagine the goodness of work. Like work is good, but work is not Lord. Mm. Uh, work is not God. Mm. Uh, we can reimagine generosity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, we're going to have a whole series about this coming up in the next few weeks. But here's a great question. Is generosity what you do? 
or is generosity who you are? You know, because I would say that we have some generous gifts that Americans give, especially in the wake of disasters like Hurricane Ian. But we reimagine what generosity is in light of our Lord and Savior. Uh, being a good neighbor, we reimagine what that means. Creation care, we reimagine what does that mean. And then the third question we ask is, what in their culture can be redeemed? What in their culture can be redeemed? And how we view others. Uh, pain and suffering can be redeemed. Identity, purpose, marriage and family, all of those things can be redeemed by by our relationship with Jesus. And so um, so th- those are things that I definitely wanted to share about contextualization. And again, we can even spend a whole nother 45 minutes talking about just those three things. But Teresa, you want to add anything? Because you gave me you, you know, some of those <laughs> examples too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when I was thinking about it, um, you know, the I think about the way Paul um, became an expert on the culture around him. Mm-hmm. And he... Uh, devised, uh, creatively devised uh, successful ways of communicating with them using their own philosophies. But I think, um, you know, there's certain things, you know, everybody's going to have their uh, different approach to how they want to um, engage with their the, the sphere, the cultural sphere in which yeah. within which they live. Mm. And um you know, you kind of have to learn what is important to the person you're talking to. You know, what are they worried about? What are they concerned mm-hmm. about? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're going to want to show how um, God presents an alternative to the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not uh, going in equipped with uh, talking points about certain things that bother us about culture. Yeah. It's the word. It's working hard to discern and pray that God would show us what they want, what they need, then yeah. God can help us know. What the, it, it might just be the entry point. Then you can maybe get to some yeah. of the other things that, that you know we worry about. But um, it's so much more relational and so much more um, – Incarnational, like yeah. 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 Well, because you're entering into the world of mm-hmm. the people that you're trying to reach. Like, yeah. Just even what you're talking about, like if you think about who's sitting out there on a given weekend. I mean, you have you know ten, eleven, twelve year olds all the way to eighty, eighty five, ninety plus year olds sitting out there. And if you think generationally, what one what one generation in, in terms of what long you know their desires, their longings, what they would have versus the other, they might have a completely different desire, longing, mm-hmm. and so. But and that's where you're trying to contextualize the gospel into their heart language. So Gen Z, they struggle with purpose, mm-hmm. like they don't know their purpose. They don't know they they really struggle with identity. Whereas you look at a baby boomer, they had pretty much good purpose. You, you know, at least. You know, collectively and at least their identity, you know, and that's where the whole idea of work sometimes, because if you look at baby boomers and Gen Xers, they really found their identity in their work. Mm. Um, and so that's why you're trying to reimagine that for them. Hey, I mean, your work is good, but hey, let me like, you, you know, because, again, this is where you look at baby boomers and Gen Xers. That's where everybody went into the workforce. Right. Both men and women, because, you know, kind of baby boomers and traditionalists, women were not in the workforce. Now, everybody is getting in involved in the quote unquote workforce. And so what we're wanting to do is show how God's reimagining that. But then Gen Z, uh, you know, maybe what well, really Gen Z in terms of identity, purpose, you, you know, work, like they're trying to figure out what, well, like, I don't even know. Like, and so now you're speaking to them. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's why contextualization is so important because it, it's uh, one of the great examples that I love to use. And I use really two examples is uh, uh, Coke and Disney. If you've ever been to the Coca-Cola Museum mm-hmm. in Atlanta, they literally have Coke from around the world. Mm. And what they have done is that they have created the formula that actually would would go – which would in some sense taste well or go well with the context in which they sell it. And then you think about Disney. It is a universal language. 
Um, and, and so, and it's able, you know, when I went on a Disney cruise years ago, I mean, it was just amazing. All of the cast members that work for Disney all around the world, all around the world. Mm-hmm. And, and so, so something, you know, so yeah. Disney and Coke is doing something right in terms of to contextualize their product mm. in a way that resonates with the world. That's what we should be doing, and we should be the ones excelling at it. Amen. There was Amen. one other thing I was yeah. thinking of when you know we're thinking about contextualization. Uh, there are some things that are going to change, right? There's all these generations that have their preferences. Uh, there's music, how we dress, all that's all these things change and morph over time, and we struggle with you know those those transitions sometimes. But what doesn't change? Is God? Mm-hmm. Yeah. God doesn't change, so you know you can always leverage that. You know, so that when I, I don't know anybody who doesn't care about love, I don't know anyone who doesn't care about joy or hope, right. or right. Uh, and even the idea of a holy God. You know, they they'll go there with you because yeah. they there's something that resonates about them mm. uh, about that with them. So I think it's important to you know be loose with maybe this fits into your formula, yeah. but yeah. be loose with the you know the materials we're working with, but be anchored in the reality of who God is yeah. Uh, yeah. over time, all time, eternally. Yes. eternally. Yeah. So. Yes. Oh, wonderful. This has been such a good conversation. Unfortunately, we are out of time. I, I think we could have our own uh, extra special podcast just about contextualization because <laughs> there extra is so, yeah, much, yeah, yeah. so much, so yeah. much there. So any, well, there any final thoughts or words before we wrap up? Yeah, I just, well, and I want to use this platform to share with our Northland family and friends how incredible our staff have been in the aftermath of Hurricane Ian. So Matt, you being one, Lauren, Marie, Tom, Meg, uh, have I have a missing have a missing anybody? So Gene, Gene, yeah, Gene, oh Tim, uh, Chris, our housekeeping staff, Chantel. Like, like I want to give a shout out, and if I missed your name, I truly am sorry. That is not my intention. I'm not all knowing like Jesus, but. <laughs> I do really want to give a shout out to to you all because uh, you all have been working around the clock. Uh, Matt, you and Meg have been organizing all of these projects from both the disaster relief team and then Doug um, and Carol and and, and others. And so I'm super grateful. And I also want you to know Northland family, uh, uh, there's still projects. So you can go online, northlandchurch.net, click on the Hurricane Ian thing, a little uh, icon, and then it will take you to a forum for you to sign up and for you to get involved in these projects. So our staff is actually going out tomorrow for a project. Can't wait. But these relief efforts actually will be going on for quite some time. And just know this, that part of us being the hands and feet of Jesus is part of being the redeemed people of God. Because what we are actually demonstrating is how what Jesus has ultimately done for us in bringing reconciliation, restoration, and relief. So as we go out, we are actually physically demonstrating what Jesus has done for us spiritually. And so that is actually being the redeemed people of God. So that's the last thing I want to say, but I'll turn the the close. What, you mean close? All right, North and family. Well, we love you. Have an incredible week and can't wait to see you this coming weekend. Blessings. Thanks for listening to Extra Takes. Be sure to follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts so you won't miss a single episode.